Hey everybody, it's Pete. At one point in our conversation today, Dodge will say that he is going to try to explain to you all what the Tao is. Our guest, who has been studying and thinking about the Tao for nearly four decades, says in response, good luck with that. That pretty much says it all for me, too. I've read a bit, I've thought some, I've studied my fair share, but the Tao is one of those pesky constructs. It's an intellectual raccoon trap. Just when I think I have a handle on what it means for me, I get my metaphorical fist stuck in the bottle and I can't break free. That's why we're glad to have William Martin on the show with us today. He's written many Tao-inspired books, including The Parents' Tao Te Ching and his latest, The Activists' Tao Te Ching. As a graduate of University of California, Berkeley and Western Theological Seminary, he has worked as a research scientist for the Department of the Navy, a clergyman, and a college instructor in counseling communications and the humanities. For many years, he's conducted workshops and seminars on the application of Taoist and Zen thought to the issues of everyday life. All that is to say, we're in good hands with Bill today. He's not a high mystic, an oracle on the hill. He's a guy who has worked hard to understand this thing in a way that can make it an approachable thing to us. We deeply enjoyed talking with him. We hope you do too. And now, William Martin and Dodge Ray. Welcome to the Change Paradox, Bill. It's my pleasure. So glad to have you here. It was, I think I shared with you by phone, oh shoot, I can't think of how many years it was ago, 12, 15, 20, I can't, I can't imagine how long it was ago that I was introduced to your work, I think by the Tao itself. I was walking through a little, <laughs> a little section of a bookstore in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and came across your beautiful parents' Tao Te Ching right on the shelf next to the couple's Tao Te Ching. And my first thought was, well, first of all, they're, they're beautiful little books with rough cut they, edge yeah, paper. They were, and well, the, they were well designed. So well done, right? And I looked them up. I was like, well, you can't judge a book by a its cover or its title, but these definitely deserve at least being picked up. I mean, if the book's anything like the title, I got to at least thumb through it. But I wasn't really thinking it was going to quite live up to the awesome intention behind the title until I started looking at it and immediately was thinking, what is this? How did he do this? It was beautiful and helpful quickly. And I mean, it was like, well, buying these post haste and took them home and have loved them ever since and uh, so it's really fun to think like i wish somebody could have tapped me on the shoulder and said you know one day you'll get to talk to this guy (laughs) (laughs) it'll be over this thing called zoom you can't imagine yeah right (laughs) you would have believed that just to imagine that uh all these years later i would be on something called zoom getting to talk to the author himself Uh that just makes me happy oh that's nice that's nice so what in the world is the Tao Te ching and how did it become your life's work Well, like you said, the Tao introduced you to some of my books. Uh, It's all part of this mysterious thing that we really shouldn't name, but we name it anyway, and we call it various things, and Tao seems to be a good good word for me. Um, The Tao Te Ching itself uh, is is a a classic of, of Chinese literature, written probably 2,600 years ago. 
Uh, its author, Lao Tzu, is semi-legendary. Uh, undoubtedly, there was a true, a real teacher named Lao Tzu. But like with, like most ancient venerable texts that are that old, it's hard to separate legend from fact. But the essence of it is, uh, philosophical Taoism as, as differentiated from what might be called religious Taoism. Both, both are strains within Chinese history. Religious Taoism is the folk religion of China with all the bells and the whistles and the gods and the goddesses and the rituals. It's beautifully, beautiful, ornate and diverse, uh, religious practices. But within that strain, uh, again, around 2,600 years ago, uh, a Taoist philosophy developed from Lao Tzu and a couple of his students, which was not religious, was simple and straightforward and um, kind of just a, this is the way life seems to work. Hmm. And he wrote it down in very brief, beautiful, simple powerful poetry and the book is now probably the second most translated book in the world mm. and in in you know hundreds literally of of languages and translations um the, the title itself means dao is a, a chinese concept of the way or simply a path Dao can be a path through the woods or a path up to your front door, but it's also the 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 deep way the world unfolds. Mm. So a path to your front door or the mysterious way of the cosmos. Mm. And de, te in the title, it's t a o t e c h i n g. De, as in de, means natural virtue or natural power that which is innate in all of life and ching simply means book so you have the book of the way of natural virtue or the book of the way that life naturally unfolds itself mm. i ran across it when i was um, working with the navy in, in the late 60s um after college um a martial arts instructor who saw that I was not particularly gung ho, <laughs> uh, came to me and said, "You, you, you, this this karate uh, it's probably not what you really groove on, is it? Uh, you might be interested in this little book." Um, and he gave me the Tao Te Ching in in Jane English's translation. And then he said, "There's a physical expression of this book, and it's called uh, Tai Chi." Mm. And you may be interested in Tai Chi. So he taught me a little Tai Chi and gave me that book. And from then on, it became kind of my, my guide, my, wow, this is the, the experience that you had with my books. I, I, I'm just tremendously honored by that because that's the experience I have when I, I had when I first read the Tao Te Ching. Mm. And if you had that experience, it's because I managed to, to, I think, uh, communicate the wisdom of the Tao Te Ching in, in my own words, mm. because it's 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 wisdom that's that's the grabber. Yes. Well, you certainly have held the spirit of it, uh, and I, I found myself smiling as you were talking about just the title, the Tao Te Ching, and translating it for us. 
talk about a Whopper title, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, that's a fairly <laughs> pretty much encompasses right. this. This, by the way, is the path of you know of of all things virtuous. Like this is this is the way life really works. And then I love uh-huh. that from yeah. the beginning he expresses his reluctance. His very first line uh, is oh, the yeah. Tao that can be spoken is not the Tao. That isn't that wonderful. Yes, from the very that beginning just, he's like, is, just so we know, this yeah. is this book doesn't even begin to capture the thing I wish I could tell you about. Yes, you know that they probably know the legend of how it came to be written. Latsu became so disgusted and dis- dismayed with the the culture of his time, which had become, in his experience, urbanized, and the power was flowing from the simple villages to the complexity of the city. Economics were were favoring the very rich and taking the money away from the very poor. Kinds of things that we wouldn't relate to today, really, at all. <laughs> and he he became so disillusioned that he he quit teaching, quit, uh, you know, in a sense, quit his normal life and got on his ox and headed off to the Hanshu Pass, to the Western Mountains, to, to leave. And he got to the border, and the border guard said, I can't let you leave until you write your wisdom down. <laughs> He said, of course, if I write it down, it's not going to be the Tao. <laughs> well, nevertheless, you're not going to get out of here until you write it down. So he got off his ox and sat under the shade of a tree and in one afternoon took out a scroll and a brush and ink and wrote the about 5,000 characters that became the, the Tao Te Ching, tossed it to the border guard and disappeared into the Western Mountains. At the same time, I think the legend has the kernel of truth of here's a a, a man who saw so clearly how the natural flow of life could work that he got to the point of saying, um, I can't force this to happen. I can't force my culture to, I mean, that would be totally contrary to what I believe about the Tao. I can't force anything to happen. I've been at this long enough. My flow now is to go into the mountains and experience this for myself, to sink deeply into it and just become part of it. And boy, I know how he feels. Boy, if it's, you know, if it's not true, it sure feels true in reading these words. Yeah. Anybody who could yeah. write this down mm-hmm. is is not somebody who who lives in a bustling city and is deeply involved in cynical politics and, you know, yeah. and building as much wealth as he can get his hands around. Like, the, he's he, he couldn't know this stuff if he weren't uh, a man who lived the way the legend would suggest he did. Yeah, at the same time, obviously, his early life, he knew what this culture was doing. He had experienced enough of it to to feel the dismay and the disillusionment. So the Tao, the Tao Te Ching ends up staying with you from young man in Navy and a little yeah, bit of Tai Chi, yeah. somebody teaches you. It manages uh-huh, to survive uh-huh. divinity school as you go a completely <laughs> a different direction, <laughs> which didn't quite work out. So the next thing you know, you're a marriage and family therapist for 20 years. And all along, here you are finding yourself writing not about any of those things, but about the Tao. Yeah, that's right. I had lots of components to my life, but that just hung in there. I think that that's the beauty of his little book. It doesn't dominate. It doesn't kind of impose itself in some sort of a structure onto your life and say, okay, now hear this. It just kind of seeps in and hangs in there and yeah. trails along and you can't get rid of it. Yeah. 
And I guess as I say that, what I said was totally inaccurate because you did write about all of those things. Your very first book, if I remember right, was a little book you wrote about what the Tao Te Ching might offer pastors and ministers. Something to that yes, effect, that, right? That's that's right. That's right. And then parents I, I, and then I, I, couples. That certainly fits marriage mm-hmm. and family therapy. And yeah. has gone on, you know, for I mean, all sorts of beautiful ways of of understanding the Tao Te Ching in new ways, uh, essentially mm-hmm. new expressions, mm-hmm. even translations. And then I think most recently in a book that I want to make sure we talk about today, the activist Tao Te Ching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that's my most recent. I, ha- I haven't published a book for for several years, but that was my most recent. In one sense, I, I for me, it's my most important book. It was it was the most important one for me to write. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to talking okay. about that when we'll let's yeah. get there later in the show. There's a piece I really want to make sure that we spend a little time on because um, you've touched on it, but it feels like it, the more we can work to understand what is the Tao itself, the more the rest of your work and the rest of this conversation, I think, is going to make sense to people. Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. I've been spending a lot of time trying to get my head around this. Good luck with that. Oh, my God. It's just, (laughs) it is so sort of enthralling and maddening because you, you, I see why he had to start with these words about the Tao that can be spoken. Like, as soon as you start talking about it, you you lose it again. You can feel it. Uh You can sense it. You can experience it. You can, Uh, right? Some of the way I'm understanding this, right? I mean, there's so many ways to talk about it. It's, it is a, it is a guide. It is a path. It is a, Mm-hmm. Um, it's a way of realizing, you know, the difference between what works and what doesn't. Okay, mm-hmm. this is simple and concrete. Then it's sometimes talked about almost like the force in Star Wars, <laughs> right? It, they, it's got almost an energy of its own. Maybe that's more the day than oh. the Tao, but it's there's something in there that he's capturing. Well, Lucas, Lucas, Lucas admits that he was very influenced by the Tao Te Ching. But see, now there you go. I knew it. I didn't even know that, but it makes it, that makes a lot of sense. I get this sense that like the Tao in some ways is not the river. It is the flow. It's not the water. It's the river bed. It's almost the void that is this deep structure to how things really flow most naturally and efficiently and effortlessly. And then the substance is life. So. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can apply it to parents or couples or sages or activists uh, or ministers, and it works beautifully because it's it, it is it is the riverbed. Well, I think that's I, I, you know the, again we can't we can't tie it down, but that's a, that is one very good way of of expressing it. It's that that bed in which life flows. It's it's also the life itself, and but but. Um, since you're using, since we're using a word, and Natsu used a word that is is like a path, or a way, or a river course. Uh, Alan Watts's Alan Watts' last book, uh, in which he really sank into Taoism, was called Tao: The Watercourse Way, the 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 way the the river naturally flows. Seeing it as that empty, in a sense emptiness through which things are guided and flow is is one good way of of i think looking at it it's also the water it's also whatever you want to name it there yes it's 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 that too 
But but one my one of my books um, I wrote maybe ten years or so ago it's called A Path and a Practice, and that's where I have my own translation of the Tao in that in that book. But that's what it, that's what it seems like to me. It's a path. It's a way. And it's a, also a practice on how to walk that way. Mm-hmm. His little book of poems not so much describes that which can't be described as gives some hints on how to walk along that indescribable path. Yeah. So it's a practice. I had this moment thinking about this. I was listening, I think, to something Alan Watts was saying about the Tao. I was maybe shaving or I was there with the sink and I was watching water circle the the sink as uh-huh. it was heading down the drain and noticing that some of the droplets flowed easily down the drain and some got caught higher on the sink, you know? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. I had this sense of like, if we imagine that water had a kind of consciousness, that uh-huh. some water... Uh-huh might more wisely know the way, the easy flow, and other water gets kind of caught in its little eddies and stuck on the bank and splashes about, and it's all fine. All of it's uh-huh. fine. Yeah. Lao Tzu isn't saying you have to do it this way. He's just saying if you want to flow easily, here's a couple of tips. Exactly. That's what's so be- another part of the beauty of that book. So many um, traditions... Uh, uh, that start off uh, with with a great deal of grace and 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 softness to them because of uh I probably human conditioning get themselves stratified into 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 structure yeah and i think that's why the book has been so so venerable is it it resists structure yeah it resists that you you try to put some sort of a Taoist dogma together and it won't let you do it yeah boy that's a very interesting point you're right all of the religions has have really dogmatic versions uh you know mm-hmm. strident mm-hmm. followers who or get sort of um, shrill in their uh insistence except taoism as far as i can tell like i i rarely mm-hmm. you know I, I i'll even i remember having practiced tai chi for decades now uh, my favorite Tai Chi teacher is Tai Chi, colon, relax harder, right? <laughs> Where they're just making fun of that idea that, like, you could possibly uh-huh. Get, uh-huh. take this too seriously easily. And, yeah, Taoism sort of, you're right, somehow nice. Lao yeah. has, has resisted that. The very nature of his poetry just just resists that. I, I think people have, have tried, but translation after translation after translation, and in 2,600 years, you don't have a Taoist religion. Mm. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. Isn't that marvelous? Right. 2,600 years of this, this beautiful book, and no one's been able to... Well, there's one chapter of it where he says, you can't sell the Tao, you can't market the Tao, you can't structure the Tao. It won't let you do that. Yeah. And it hasn't. The closest to it is is Buddhism, but Buddhism has hasn't totally avoided its structures and its its cultural accretions of of dogma. That mm-hmm. um, probably the closest of any actual religion, um, and that's why Zen Buddhism is the child of Taoism and Buddhism, and why it 
sort of maintains. <laughs> well, I've I've gone off on a tangent there because it doesn't either. You can have pay attention, <laughs> sit, sit straight, breathe, count your breath. Right. One, two, three, four. Whap, whap. Right. How present are you? <laughs> Eatings will continue until morale improves. Right. <laughs> so relax harder. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So, but but Dao, but Lao Tzu's little book. I just realizing as as I'm talking, it's gosh, twenty six hundred years, and it hasn't fallen prey. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, as as I've been preparing for this show, I've had this really interesting kind of experience seeing first the show differently, and then my career differently, and then in some ways my life differently. Like as I've been reviewing your books and thinking about what we might talk about, been realizing like what I love in this show so much is the paradox element of change. I mean, mm. we've literally named the show mm -hmm. for it, but it's so Taoist. Like what Lao Tzu does so brilliantly is to just capture uh, the opposing energies, to capture the, yeah. the paradoxical realities about how yeah. life really works best, where the deep truths are complex and hidden often in and paradox that we, most folks won't bother to navigate. And I realized, yeah. though, but that's what I love most about being a psychologist, too. In fact, sure. my favorite hobbies are all like this, you know, from uh, Tai like Chi. Prepared, prepared. Okay. Yeah, from Tai Chi to a very soft form of Kung Fu to, um, mm -hmm. you know, music. Like, there's just, there's something about kind of the... The, the Taoist way that infuses everything I, I love. Physical uh, expressions of that. Yeah. Of that concept. Yeah. And clearly that's been the case in your life too. It's just hung with you through so much. It, it has. I still, I still feel very much like a complete novice at it. My ability to use words outstrips my deeper understanding. Mm. I'm a good wordsmith. I always have been. And it's not that I'm bullshitting or anything like that. It's just that my, my word ability has, has always outstripped my deeper understanding. And, and as I reach the elder years of my life, I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to let my understanding catch up with, with my words. Yes. So that my, my, I'm, I'm wondering, I, you know, I just thought of this. I wonder if Lao Tzu had the same feeling. I wonder if he was this good, intelligent teacher and he was teaching things he knew to be true. But he finally reached a point of, I got to stop saying this and start living it. Yeah. And that's why he, why he left. Yeah. And somebody said, you got to write it down one time before you go. <laughs> one time, yeah. Because the rest of us are going to be trying to figure it out yeah, after you're yeah, gone. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. right. I would think that so would almost I'm, have to be so. You know, one of my uh -huh. longest time teachers talks about the unthought known. Uh, and I oh, love that phrase. phrase. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And I make up that that folks who are archetypally natural teachers and writers, um, find that when they go to explain something to someone else, 
they have access to that unthought known that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. That's somewhere deep yeah. inside you. Yes. You do know these things. Yeah, yeah. But you don't know yeah. you know these things until yeah. there you go writing it down again. And you're like, huh. Yeah. Well, that came out yeah. well, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I can read my, finally, it's taken quite a few years. I can read my own books with a sense of appreciation. Yeah. Of, wow, yeah. Oh, that's very helpful. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, by golly, that's not that's not bad. I've certainly found them very helpful myself. So the 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 Dao Te Ching carries a series of different principles that are worth highlighting. One of them is the kind of the mutual arising realities. This is this is paradox. the The most foundational of all of those, to my reading, is this uh, is this tension and collaboration between yin and yang. Well, that's his, in, in chapter two, he, he first mentions the, the, well, actually it, it permeates all of his chapters, but that mutual arising, that sense that if this, then that, mm-hmm. uh, yin and yang actually you know, emerged from, uh, yin being the shady side of the mountain and yang being the sunny side of the mountain mm-hmm. where there, so where the, where the light shines is yin and where the shade dominates is, is, uh, where the light shines is yang, where the where the shade dominates is yin, mm-hmm. and then that became just a vehicle for noticing all the mutual arisings. If there's long, then there's short. If there's high, then there's low. We live in a in the appearance of a dualistic world. There's this and that. There's the yin and the yang, all the way down to the composition of the of the atomic structure of the universe. The the proton and the electron, and then the subatomic particles, that in order for manifest existence to to manifest, there must be the yin and the yang. Mm-hmm. There's no manifest existence without it. The universe emerged out of the formless quantum flux, but when the, the boom occurred, that there was, there immediately was the stuff uh, you know, the little yin yang symbol is called the Tai Chi and it's the, called the grand ultimate because it's the way things are made. That's what it's made out of. Mm-hmm. So it's just a given. It's also causes some of our, um, suffering unnecessarily because culturally, and I don't know for how many millennia we've lived in a culture that seems to say we want to crank the yang, the light, up as high as it will go and then stop it. And don't let the yin occur. Don't let the, don't let the counterpoint occur. So we're always kind of cranking this wheel of progress and of getting and having and attaining and never realizing that you can't attain without loss. You can't have without loss. You can't grow without dying. You can't live without dying. You can't do it. But we've spent millennia trying to do it, and we're, we're, we, we pay a great price in suffering for it. And Alan always used to say, you know, it's the dance. It's the dance of the yin and the yang that is what life is really about. It's not cranking up the yang and um, avoiding the yin. It's, it's watching the dance. It's, and the symbol yin-yang is, is an attempt to uh, indicate not static, but, but things in motion the light growing and then getting 
right at its peak and then the the dark groin and and it's so it's just this spinning 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 wheel of constant change i can't remember whether i've talked about this in previous shows i think i've at least alluded to it but i i talk about it with clients all the time another teacher of mine um is one who comes from the um the practice of kabbalah uh and she talks about it in terms of expansion and contraction, right? Expansion is yang, contraction is yin. And she talks about this beautiful idea that her definition of addiction is the insistence on forcing expansion where contraction is the natural way, right? It's the addict, you know, who, who wants more beer when it would be time to sober up, who wants to feel wildly good when it's time to settle down. Um, and then when finally the contraction comes, it comes as a brutal hangover instead of just a lovely end of the evening, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. In one or the destruction of a life. It, yes, it can go further than that, right? Um, and that would just be one example. Um, but yeah. we are constantly wanting to force expansion where contraction is the natural order. Uh, there's so much of that from just like you're saying, acquiring and acquiring and acquiring and then calling any loss or release a bad thing. Yeah. It's like we want to only inhale and never exhale. And you can see how well that's that works. exactly right. And yeah, and I think exactly literally right. physically, that's what most people's bodies are wanting to do. We are way up in our chest and we're trying to only inhale mm -hmm. and not not fully exhale. Very good point. Yeah. <laughs> and we're out yeah. of relationship in this yin and yang. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. That's why so many contemplative, contemplative traditions have a focus on the breath, yes. and the in, inhalation and the exhalation. Yes. That's, a, that's a fundamental teaching of yin and yang. Yes. And in this, you know, the uh, Qigong world, as you well know, um, they focus much more on the exhale because we have such a hard time fully exhaling. <laughs> if we can slow mm -hmm. that exhale down. And we can yeah. connect to that, the yin part of our body, the parasympathetic part of the nervous system, the part that goes yeah. into rest, digest, repair, all kinds of things come into balance because we're normally so freaking yeah. young. Yeah. 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 And there's no, without the exhalation, uh, typically we, we breathe in and out so quickly that without the exhalation, uh, half of our lungs are still filled with, with waste. Yes. So only half of the lung is available for for new oxygen. Yeah. This reminds me of one of the very first passages I read from the parents, Tao Te Ching. And I, I went looking for this because I've remembered it all these years. <laughs> I thought it'd be okay. fun to read out loud. <laughs> I got my, I happen to have my coffee here. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I think you'll see why I'm reading this because this is such a, a sort of comment on the yin and yang of a moment with a child, right? It says... This is uh, passage 60, Growing a Garden. Dealing with difficult children is like watching a garden grow. Resist the temptation to pull up the plants and check on the roots. In difficult times, children may thrive on conflict. If you take the bait, the battle rages. Instead, step back, breathe deeply, relax, and stay at your center. Battles require two parties. One fighting alone soon tires. 
either times when, despite all efforts, you must impose your will? Of course. But remember, those times are far fewer than you can imagine. Is this current battle really necessary? I first read that when I had a toddler, and that was really, really helpful. <laughs> I now have a 13-year-old, and that is really, really helpful. <laughs> really, really helpful, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm just like, oh, I have bless a, you. <laughs> yeah, I have a 45 and a 50-year-old, and it's still, still really, really, really helpful. helpful. Is this a moment when I have to pull up the plant and check on the roots? <laughs> is this battle really something I want or to fight? Really? Yep. Uh Yeah, can I just go to soft? But, you know, battles require two parties. One fighting alone soon Mm -hmm. tires. If I can bring Mm -hmm. yin to a very young situation, it it changes it. And it changes it because it balances it. It's so difficult, though. (laughs) Uh, Culturally, we, you know, from parenting to all the other aspects of our culture, we're trained and conditioned to see yin as a weakness. As a capitulation, yeah. that unless I stand my ground here, I'm going to be I'm I'm going to be run over. Yes, and it's such a misunderstanding of that soft inness, which is is really the strongest of the two energies. Lao Tzu talks about the two energies: know the young, but always return to the yin. Yes, it's it's where the power really lies. And the Tai Chi principle that soft always over un- overcomes hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An example that comes to mind, I thought we would talk a little bit about the just foundational principle in this book and of Taoism. And I just think a truly one of the most brilliant contributions to world philosophy is this idea of Wu Wei, or sometimes oh, yeah. expresses Wei Wu Wei, yeah. doing without yeah. doing, you know, effortless doing, non-forcing. Yeah. And I think about an example um, that I think exemplifies beautifully this this idea of soft overcoming hard. But it's also such a great example or, you know, and metaphor for Wu Wei, right? So if you were to imagine two sumo wrestlers locked, you know, head to head, leaning in heavily, right? Uh (laughs) They're each 400 (laughs) pounds, pure muscle. Well, and and just mass. And the idea is I am going to use all of my weight and will to force you outside the circle the other way, right? This is the way most Uh of us are moving through the world. It's totally yang, right? Uh It would be far easier to the point of probably seeming like cheating were one of them just to soften and find his root and turn (laughs) his waist and let the other guy fly Uh right on by. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Right. It would be like, right. You can't do that. Um, uh-huh. But it's so way. I mean, it's it's the effortless doing. And yet it's it's the fastest way to push the other guy out of a circle is let all of his momentum go fly right by. But that's not sumo. Right? But that's, no, that's not that's sumo. cheating. Sumo is 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 strength against strength and mass against mass. Right. No wisdom. It's fine for us. Fine for a sport, but it's not a way to live life. Right. Yeah. And yet it is. It's unfortunately oh, so yeah. much the way people live it life. So, so let's talk a little bit more about Wu Wei and how, what, what is that? And how, did, how would that give us a, a better path? Well, it permeates, again, it's one of the concepts that permeates um, Lao Tzu's writing. Sometimes, literally, the, the characters Wei Wu Wei. Wu is a, is, a, is a negation. It's like a not, mm-hmm. like our word not. And way is a word for doing or taking action. Mm-hmm. So it's not acting, acting. 
mm-hmm. or acting, not acting. And it sometimes it's literal in his translations, but it's in his work, but it's always a, a background of of an effortless way of of flowing through life. Mm. It's sometimes mischaricatured as this go with the flow, the the hippie, you know, yeah. hey dude, just go with the flow. And again, that gets uh, an implication of careless avoidance of just not paying any attention to what life might ask of us. And it's not that at all. Tatsu uses the words, can you just be patient? Can you sit and let the mud settle? Can you let the dust settle? Can you sit there until the way ahead naturally emerges all by itself? It, there is a time for actual, for action, for action without resistance, which is another good way of, of translating Wu Wei. Action without resistance. Seldom do any of us ever experience action without resistance. Every time we, because of the yin yang of our culture, every time we, we constellate an intention, we tend to constellate an opposition to that intention. Yeah. I'm going to do this, and a little voice somewhere in the background says, no, you're not. And so we think in order to get anything done, we have to take our intention and overcome the resistance either from ourselves or from culture to that intention. Mm. Lao Tzu says, the way not to constellate the resistance is to not constellate the intention in the first place. Sit and let the action emerge and express itself before any of that has a chance to come into into play. Yeah. When it's done, it's just done. And the the classic phrase, when it when this great thing is accomplished, Lao Tzu says, the people will say, We did it ourselves. Yeah. We did it naturally. He's he's talking about the best leader is the one who when the achievement is accomplished, the people are able to say, We just we did that ourselves. And an, another good way of saying that is, we just did that naturally. There's, there's no big deal about it. It just occurred. It just sort of happened. I can... Uh, we, we, we just, oh, culturally, I mean, I, I say we culturally. I, that's so hard for me. I, I can take Lao Tzu's advice of, okay, just sit and let the dust settle. Right action will emerge. And I'll sit... And the dust will start to settle. And then it's time for action. <laughs> What's the right action? Okay. I've set. I've set. I've set for 20 minutes now. Uh, it's time to force something. That's, it's time to force something. You know? <laughs> and, and real Wu Wei can, can require tremendous patience of sitting for days and days and days when everything is clamoring for action to be taken until right action emerges. Very seldom is that truly practiced. I can think of an easy example, a very difficult example, but an easy one at least to think of. Uh, In the Tai Chi world, um, my teacher used to say that, you know, we would spend hours and hours and hours learning the exact structures and forms and then practicing mm-hmm. holding those and then holding those while moving and then doing that while relaxed. Ugh, not easy to do. But what he would say was, 
when you're really getting this, the yin will just rise up and move your body mm-hmm. for you. The hardest part is being patient enough to wait for that to happen. So he would right. encourage you to go stand in a dark room in the, mm-hmm. you know, the opening posture and just wait there as long as it took mm-hmm. for your arms to just seem to start rising as though you were in a trance. And if you what were a wonderful as Yeah. And then if you follow that, yeah, and you have to follow because, of course, you're like, oh, wow, this is great. Now I know what to do. And then you want to take over again and it's over. I mean, it's gone that fast. Uh Um, But if you can just follow and follow and follow, it's like the very strange experience of being in a trance when somebody suggests a balloon is tied around your wrist and there goes your hand floating up again and you don't know why. You know, it's a little like that. Now. I could share that example, but anybody out there who hasn't experienced it and doesn't have examples in sort of walk around life would be like, yeah, right, buddy. Like, how do I do that with my kid or my you know, uh-huh. boss or my car? My, yeah, my boss is not going to. No, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. So yeah. I wonder if we could come up with examples of Wu Wei in life. Give folks some sense of like, how do you do without doing? It's hard to it's hard to give those I- examples because we want them to look in a certain way, kind of the obvious. Uh, oh, look, my arms are just rising, and I can see that. Yes, I can. I can get a sense of that. Often, it's not apparent. You can look at at two situations, two identical situations, that without deep looking, they look exactly the same. The man is responding to the boss or the woman is responding to uh, her husband or somebody's responding to something. And it looks like they, they are moving quite quickly. It looks like they are being um, assertive or it may even look like they're forcing. And in one case, they are. And in the other case, they're not. It's an internal sort of a feeling. Can I practice this? So that when the situations arise in normal life, it just naturally, it may look like I'm being reactive, but I'm actually not. Yeah. I'm, it's, it's, it's emerging. So a quick word to a child may come out of my anger and my unwillingness to, to, often or it may come from from a lot of practice and just come as the spontaneous most appropriate and helpful thing to say and way to say it in the moment i can't really give examples outside of that it's an internal thing it requires lots of silence and practice yeah uh, if I'm going to give advice to, to someone who wants to uh, uh, kind of immerse themselves and seeing if there's a Taoist flow to their lives, it's going to require time off. It's going to require solitude. It's going to require some quiet, even if it's 10 minutes here and there. It's going to require an intentional, mindful sense of, I want, I want to take enough breaths for at least the beginnings of this to, to come into me. Mm. also to understand that it's natural Mm -hmm. it's not something that we have to train ourselves in it's a untraining it's a deconditioning it's 
everything, every happiness, every every sense of contentment and peace is a natural quality of the, the T-E. It's a natural quality of life, and it's waiting only for an opening. How do you how do you give yourself those openings? People are listening to me. You know how to give yourself those openings. You don't need me to. <laughs> yes. You know where they you know where they are because you know this stuff. You know you're I'm, yeah again thousands and thousands of words and I'm babbling more and more thousands right. of words. You don't need them. You know. I really love that. It's just sort of a like the final word on it is to say you already know this. You've done this hundreds of times. Yeah. It, it yeah. it's to think of examples in your life where you've done something without forcing. Where you were able yeah. to go soft when you might have been hard. I can think of an example that comes to mind where a parent had come in to express her anger with me that I had not cured her son of depression. She essentially pushed her way into a session with his permission, but grudgingly because he was afraid to say no. And she came in feeling really mm-hmm. angry with me. And she really gave me what for for 20 minutes. I mean, called me every name in the book, incompetent and fraudulent. And I mean, it was everything, right? And wow. you could imagine all the parts of me that wanted to defend myself and mm-hmm. defend him by sort of making the point of, you know, maybe he's feeling terrible because of you, you know, kind of stuff, <laughs> right? I, I mean, I had all sorts of yeah. oh, terrible yeah, ways yeah. you could zing back. Um, and in some ways, they would have been justified. I could have, I could have stood up and just said, "I'm so sorry. This is inappropriate." Because the poor mm-hmm. guy is just cowering in the corner of the couch as he's feeling so awful about mm-hmm. what's happening here. Yeah. But something in me could also sense her pain, and sure. I just decided, "What the heck? I'm going to go soft, as soft as I can figure out how to be." And I just mirrored back to her for 20 minutes. Sounds like you're mm-hmm. feeling. Real doubt about uh-huh. my competence. Sounds like you're getting a lot of advice uh-huh. from your therapist friends that I couldn't possibly know what I'm doing. Uh-huh. Keep going. Say you more. Just, you, just soft, soft, soft. And then you just channeled Carl Rogers. That's right. I just channeled Carl Rogers. I mean, because seriously, on your back foot, that's what you got to do sometimes as a therapist. Like you're just like, okay, I got a mirror. That's like all I got left. <laughs> and that was definitely on my back foot. But at the end, uh, my summary statement to her was. Um, so I think in summary, what I hear you saying when she'd finally run out of gas is you really love your son and it scares you to death to see him in this much pain. And then she burst into tears and just said, I am so sorry. That's exactly what I wanted to say. And she put her hand on his knee and just said, I love you so much. And you have a good therapist and it's going to be okay. And then she paid her back bill and the whole thing worked out. (laughs) And none of that would have happened if I had forced a now, but part of that, that I think worked was in a sense, I, I didn't, I resisted the intention to win, which would have then brought up as Lao Tzu points out, all of my internal resistance and all of life's internal resistance. I just <clears throat> sat with kind of an intention for this to flow as it needed to. And I tried to join her where she was. And that turned out to be the softness that was most healing and most followed the river down toward the ocean, you know? And somehow I just emerged for you. It was a little bit of like, Oh God, you know, run to a, the safest technique I've got right now. But, but I, I didn't take too long to catch up with. There's nothing I can do here, um, except just recognize 
there are two people in pain and a third one who's pretty alarmed and that's me. So what do I do to get soft? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think as parents or employees or, you know, business owners or whatever, there is a kind of softness that might follow that spirit out there that I'm hoping folks might grasp. Probably the best illust the best living illustration of of that in a teacher that I've ever seen. And he doesn't explicitly teach Wu Wei, but he embodies it, and that's Thich Nhat Hanh. Yes. His very being is non-reactive. Yeah. His speech is, he. there's pauses in his speech that have nothing to do with language. They're just, everything emerges from him in a, in a Wu way. Yeah. His very, very being. So, watch some video of, of Thich Nhat Hanh just as, okay, this is what it looks like. Yes. I think he has a beautiful video out there about how to listen. And mm, deep listening. Deep listening yeah. from his just exquisite. So beautiful. Yeah. Part yeah. of what's so difficult, of course, about Wu Wei is, as Alan Watts um, hilariously points out in one of his talks, uh, it itself can't be forced. Right. <laughs> once you're trying. To, okay, I'm going to do Wu Wei right? now. Once you're doing it on purpose, you're not doing it. <laughs> and the best example I can think of that is trying to be cool. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Anyone uh -huh. who's trying to be cool has already missed it. It's too late. <laughs> not, not cool. <laughs> you're, <Yeah>. you're going, <laughs> right. The coolest. Yep. The coolest ones out there are the ones who are just. It's effortless. They're just being themselves. So finally, you just finally you, you just try not to try. To not to try, to not to try, and finally it just all disappears right. into a belly laugh, and you just <laughs> you just let screw it, it, let it come yeah. out. Well, way in some ways leads us to your this last book, which is how in this time of remarkable change, a time very much like the one in which Lao Tzu found himself twenty six hundred mm -hmm. years ago. How do we work toward change without forcing it? That was my whole reason for writing the book. It was just prior, I wrote it, I think, just prior to Trump's ascendancy, when it became kind of clear that he was, I didn't think he was going to win the Republican nomination, but I saw that he was going to dominate it. I had no idea how bad it was going to get. But that sense that, I've, that I'd always have of for several hundred years, if not thousands of years, we've been, well, back to Lao Tzu's time, we've been on a collision course with reality culture is a natural thing in one way but but cultures of the past few thousand years have become so young so accumulative in in in, a, in in general that we're we're creating the a collision course with with reality and primarily i begin to see it in in environmental issues but the more I looked at it, the more I thought the activist part of me, and, and during part of my career, I was, I was the quintessential activist. I mean, I went to Berkeley in the 60s. I was, you know, that's what, it, that's what a hippie activist looks like. That burned, I burned out on that. Mm -hmm. I remember very distinctly, uh, I think I was in my mid-30s or nearing 40, and I was the head of a hunger organization in Phoenix, and we were holding a big gathering of hunger people from all over the country and the primary speaker was a 
big name in it. And we were at a planning meeting and I was walking back and forth and I looked, they had the television on, but the, the sound down and on the television was this guy behind a podium and he was pointing and gesturing and clenching his fists and raising his clenched fists and so on. And it, the podium looked like, and I was said, I was sure it was an evangelical come to Jesus sort of meeting. And I said to my friends, what have you got that crap on for? And they looked up at me and said, that's our speaker. Wow. And I remember that moment so distinctly of, holy cow, we're channeling the same energy yes. of everything that we think we're opposing. And I just, I, my activism kind of went into, into abeyance and I sunk more deeply into the, the quietism that's inherent in Taoism. Mm. But then gradually as our culture began to show its, its deepening uh, illness, I, I, there's got to be a, a Wu way here. There's got to be a, a quiet activism or an active quietism. And the Tao Te Ching is, is the book that can bring the, that, that blend together of, of revolution and deep change itself can be very much like the individual Wu Wei. Mm. It's something that just naturally arises in a culture. And so I tried to write a book that used the Tao Te Ching to, to give hope to the, both to the quietest who felt like they were maybe hiding their head in the sand and the activist who felt that they were just engaged in futile wastes of energy because I had both parts of that in me. And I saw the Tao Te Ching bringing those, those two things together into, into this is going to happen naturally. There's going to be a revolution. There's going to be change. There's going to be transformation and you don't have to make it happen. Mm. It's not going to happen according to your plan. It's not going to be 10 steps to a just society. It's, it's going to, it's, it's going to use you if you're willing. It's going, if you want to get into the flow, like the yes. drop of water going down the sink, you can go down or you can hang up here on and do it your own way. But I would recommend that you let this revolution happen. The more you let it happen, the more beautifully it's going to happen. So the whole book is is trying to express that sense of there's a power operating here and an energy of the very cosmos that's capable of healing our society and will heal our society. The question is, are you are are we going to cooperate with that healing? And is the healing going to include us or is it going to, of necessity, leave us behind? That in itself is a remarkable and very different way to look at things. And it just makes me want to tie a few things together. One is Alan Watts' wonderful statement. Apparently, I got into Alan Watts just getting ready for this interview. I started. He was my first teacher. I, I was found out teacher. so amazing. I didn't even know that till you and I had spoken. I'd already been listening. Yeah. I just kept I, finding him on YouTube. But one, he makes a great statement that Wu Wei is the art of sailing rather than the art of rowing. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's lovely, yeah. But yeah, inherent yeah, in sailing is this idea that there is already an invisible force that would take us back to shore if we would like to harness it. When I work with people hypnotically, and even when I 
you know, just in normal conversational talk therapy, often I'm helping to point out to them that the thing they want to change is already there. It's already begun to express itself in their lives. They just haven't fully recognized it or allowed it to, to blow them back to shore. Like there's already a wind blowing. They just haven't raised a sail to it yet. But they're drifting that way, right? There's a lovely piece from the book I wanted to read to you that just felt like it captured that well. It's the second chapter, A Quiet Revolution. It reads this way. Change does not come from eloquence or persuasion. When injustice is the rule, justice always lies in wait. Where oppression flourishes, freedom ever lurks. Where death is the threat, life springs into being. The darkness of power unknowing contains the seeds of a bright new light. Therefore the people act, but do not force. They teach without agenda and let freedom emerge without conscious effort. You have a nice voice for reading. I uh, hearing my words in your voice is just lovely. Thank you. <laughs> <You're welcome>. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, that's. Uh, I just thought, oh gosh, that's nice. <laughs> I love too that this book um, is is very compassionate. It's not a typical right. activist's book that feels like mm-hmm. the good must triumph over these te- mm-hmm. this terribleness. We have to go yeah. beat it. And we, you know, it's, it's clearly not a book about force, which is a very different thing to read in this world where right now we are working to change some things that do feel terrible. Yeah. And, and we, they are terrible. And they are terrible. Um, so let me read you another. So react to this one. <laughs> uh, this is number, this is chapter five. No preferences. The Tao has no preferences and will not take our side. Oppressors and oppressed alike are born within and carried by the Tao. New forms are always appearing, for the Tao is always breathing fresh new life into being and giving rest to the old. And then in the discussion about that little chapter, you go on to write, We'll often feel at war with those who cling to prestige and power, but it is the nature of power itself that we are fighting. Oppressor and oppressed, will both be free when the desire for power is laid aside and the forms that support that power are dismantled. Mm, yeah. Much more compassionate uh, way to approach the challenge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it, it has to be. It has to be compassionate. We've, we've, we've been struggling for change for thousands of years in, in, in many ways. It, it, and it's, it's based on the same paradigm that has caused the problem in the first place. Yes. Uh, and that's the paradigm of power and a winning and losing and controlling. And until we let go of that paradigm, uh, we'll, we'll never truly change. We'll just substitute one structure for another structure, as we always have done in revolutions. Uh, but, oh my goodness, it's so difficult to... To completely let go of a paradigm that's so deeply ingrained in our in our consciousness, yes, because it seems so threatening, yes, especially when it's the paradigm's layered, right? So we think of okay, let's let go of this paradigm of racism inherent in that is power over, and without even knowing it, often the response is. 
to try to then gain power over the power over, right? Oh, Which yeah. just returns yeah. us back to the same damn thing and recreates a whole lot of backlash that, that doesn't work. And I think we're finally making progress in beautiful new ways, like this, you know, the book Anti-Racism, or, you know, How to Be an Anti-Racist, starts looking at, so what if instead of seeing it as hatred, we saw it as fear and we recognize we all have it? Everyone is dealing with this. Then we're joining with it instead of trying to gain power over it. It's much more like mirroring this this mother who just loved her kid and didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, instead of fighting with her poor expression or something. What's the point of that? We're all we're terribly frightened. Yeah. And we've learned to, to uh, mitigate our fear by seeking to control events and people. And it's worked so well. We're more frightened than ever. The world is more out of control than ever. One kind of little example that I've seen in the last uh, few decades, of course, uh, it was... It had its flaws, but that, that was the uh, reconciliation uh, in South Africa, the reconciliation movement when Mandela came into power and the, the forgiveness, the forgiveness tribunals. Yes. That was a risky thing to do, and it didn't work flawlessly, but it, it was a powerful statement. Yes. It makes me want to go back to Lao Tzu. Like I, when when I hear you remind me of Mandela's power, and I think of Gandhi or King, both of them were Taoists in a sense. <laughs> they they really followed a deeper flow. They caught a wind that um, that what beat the heck out of the rowing that had been done up to that point. But they all three did it with immense love. And I wonder if. If you see love in the Dao Te Ching, like is does would you call the Lao Tzu a a loving man the way Buddha and Jesus always seem to be in their best expressions, their original expressions? It's it's, it's of course such a loaded word. Yeah, and I I use it, but but I prefer the word compassion. I think Lao Tzu saw the Dao as compassionate, but not loving in the sense of where we use the word, when we, when we use the word love, we, we tend to constellate not love. Mm. Just the, our, our dualism, our yin-yang, uh, to love is to constellate not loving. And of course, using the word compassion can constellate lack of compassion, but it's not for me quite as loaded as um, love. And I think Jesus and and Lao Tzu and the Buddha sank deeply into the compassionate nature of reality. That compassion has a, um, it's, I, it, I, I don't know whether I want to use this word and I'll try to explain it. It has a dispassionate element to it, a non-attached element. Our use of the word love so often is an attachment. Mm. Kind of naturally, we attach to people that we love. Mm. But for, I think, for Jesus and Lao Tzu and the Buddha, the deepest kind of compassion was, was it detached, looking deeply into the other person and seeing within them that they are not separate from me. They're not separate from the oneness of, of God. They're not separate from anything. And they will understand this. And if I see deeply into them and see deeply into myself, 
we will be compassionate together. And if I see their suffering, their suffering will naturally arise compassion in me. And if I see my own suffering, it will naturally bring compassion. And so I'm just a big fan of the word compassion rather than love. I really appreciated what you just said there. You really helped me to understand some stuff. I I see what you mean that love and it's when it's loaded can feel very it can feel too attached and too intentional. It needs a particular mm-hmm. outcome. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. I talk a lot with clients about when we get when we get attached to outcomes, we get sideways with life a lot. As you write, both hope and fear are hollow companions. Each will trigger anxious thoughts. They're both attached, and there are versions of love that are not, but the word itself has a way of kind of leading us down the wrong path. And compassion, it seems like it, it feels like it's, it's less active and young. It's just, it just meets the other way they are. Pity has also got a kind of an attached quality to it, right? It, it sees the, it, it already sees something wrong. Well, yes, it puts me in a one-up position. That's, if I pity something, I'm one-up. Yeah. And I, I find my safety in being one-up. That's, you know, that's, that's how we kind of our condition to work. You know, the more, the more I can be in control and one-up in a situation, the safer I feel. Yeah. All an illusion, of course. Yeah. And compassion cuts through that. I feel like that gets captured pretty well. And one more that I wanted to read to you, one that I just had to read to you, given that it fits this show too absurdly well to miss it um <laughs> just go for just, it people anyone who's listening, i like hearing your voice anyone so, who's so listened to these two seasons will be like geez there it is again you know anyway it's <laughs> <laughs> it's chapter 22 and people will laugh it's called the acceptance paradox so here it goes acceptance of what is is the only path to change we must accept with clear and calm awareness that our world is gravely wounded, dysfunctional, and deluded. We must not turn our eyes away, pretending not to notice. We must not believe that if we grit our teeth and try a little harder to make things work, that all will turn out fine. We must empty ourselves of hope that the road our world is traveling will just lead to peace and freedom. We must abandon all the things that we've been told will lead to satisfaction. We must give up trying to be right and let the Tao begin to live our lives. Only then will space appear, an empty womb in which a new world might be born. That's a, yeah, I have just enjoyed your voice in the reading of those words so much. Mm. It's been a very great gift to me. Thank you. Thank you for that. Ah, such a gift to have the chance to read these beautiful words back to the author. I mean, at least the transcriber. I think the Tao is the author, right? Something speaking through you. Yeah, Lao Tzu. I'm immensely grateful to the old boy. (laughs) Which is what his name actually means, uh, the old boy. The old boy. That's The old boy, kind of. Well, we could talk all day. I mean, yeah, just, talk, there's so much yeah. to cover about these your beautiful career of writing and the incredible, you know, Dow you're pointing back to. I don't have much of. I was going to say, but I don't have. I, I'm just in the process of emerging from uh, a year or so of retreat and reconnecting with 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 things, 
And I do have a website that people can go to if they want to connect with me. I'm not sure what other things I'm going to be doing. I'm writing some poetry on this website. But um, if you, there's a way you can let people, and I can let people know, mm-hmm. it's the primary website will connect you with the most current one. It's, it's freedomsimplicityandjoy.com. Freedom, simplicity, freedom, and simplicity, and joy.com. Wonderful. And that'll get you, that'll get you to me. Great. We'll put that in the show notes too. From there, you can contact me. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Bill. I mean, what oh, a joy to get to talk with you. It's so much fun. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Been a pleasure. It's Pete. Our version of love is a statement of attachment. Did you catch that? That challenges me in an interesting way. That way in which we are pushed against something we thought we knew so clearly, only to be introduced to this new position that cements itself as a new normal so quickly It's as if we never existed in the old way at all. Love versus compassion is that thing for me today. Next week on the Afterthoughts podcast, Dodge and I take all this in. We try to have a simple conversation on the show about this simple concept, and we fail terribly. But that is the path of the Tao, right? If you are interested in that conversation, and we hope you are, We invite you to check it out by becoming a supporter of the Change Paradox yourself. This whole endeavor comes thanks to listeners like you, listeners who have already visited truestory.fm slash thechangeparadox and signed up to be supporters of this show. Those contributions go straight to the costs associated with production and hosting and delivery of the show to you. It gives us the freedom to make more choices around how we spend our time making it. You get more great guests and longer seasons, and we get to bring on new members of the team to help the change paradox thrive. The Afterthoughts podcast is one of the member benefits. After each interview, Dodge and I process with a few laughs along the way. We try to figure out what we just learned in this conversation. Plus, you'll get every episode of the show a week before the public does in your very own members-only podcast feed. To those who have joined already, our deepest thanks. To those still thinking it through, we hope to see you soon at truestory.fm slash thechangeparadox. And now, William Martin leads us on a journey through the Tao. It'll be helpful if you just take a nice deep breath because I don't want to imply that there's something you're supposed to do or a better way for you to be or that there's something you have to accomplish in order to somehow come home 
come into the happiness and the contentment that you intrinsically know is deep there inside of you. So just let go of that. And notice the in-breath and the out-breath. You've done that before. You've probably meditated before. You probably know more about meditation than I do. But there's still something that's trying to emerge that's been there all this time that requires no effort no grand intentions not even any discipline oh my goodness no discipline required just here and just now you might have a memory inside of a time you were so completely free at a lake you were young you were older you were splashing about you were sitting on the shore you were working in your garden you were talking or listening to a loved one and there were a few moments of this is nice this is how I'd like to feel you know that was natural that came from inside it didn't come from the situation the situation just gave it a window that window's always open it's open right now no effort no intention no discipline no striving no goodness on your part it's just there you don't have to find your way there you are there you don't have to go home you are home you don't have to be good you are good you don't have to awaken you are awake another breath when you don't know what to do as your life unfolds come back here and realize you don't have to do anything thanks for listening it's been a pleasure to be with you